Hi, everybody. Welcome to church. My name is Ashley Matthews. I'm the associate lead pastor here at Trinity on the West Side, and it is so good to be with you today. Today is, of course, the first Sunday in the season of Lent, and we're going to be spending these next few weeks here at Trinity going through the story of the Exodus. So if you have Bibles, you can go ahead and get those out. Uh, we're going to read from Exodus 1, and then we'll pray, see what the Lord has for us. This is Exodus chapter 1, verse 1 through 14. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The total number of people born to Jacob was 70. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and that whole generation. But the Israelites were fruitful and prolific. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase, and in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built supply cities, Pithom and Ramses, for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks on the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks that they imposed on them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Holy Spirit, Lord, we are thankful, God, for this time to be in your word. We are thankful, Lord, for the time, the space set apart, Lord, to be with you as scattered, God, as we may be all over this city, even this country, Lord. We ask you now, Holy Spirit, will you gather us as one family, Lord, unto yourself? Will you, Holy Spirit, speak a word of, of peace over us so that our hands would open up, our hearts would open up, our minds would open up, Lord, to receive from you, from your word? Thank you, God, for the gift of this story. We long to hear from you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So first of all, uh, it should be said that when we're talking about the story of the Exodus, we are talking about the story uh, for Jews. Similarly to the way that Christians think about the cross, whenever Jews need to remember who they are, uh, who God is, who God is for them, the story of the Exodus is a story that they go back to. Similarly, when Christians need to think about or are thinking about uh, who they are, who God is, we go back to the cross. That's a story where we find our identity, where we understand who we are and uh, who we're meant to be. Both of these stories, of course, are stories about deliverance. In the story of Jesus, Jesus enters into uh, the world in order to deliver his people from sin and the curse of death not unlike the way that God enters into Egypt with the intention of delivering the people of Israel out of Egypt, and not unlike the story in Genesis when God enters into the story, hovers over creation, um, and says, let there be light. When you hear then several chapters or books later in the story of the Exodus, um, God saying to Pharaoh, let my people go, I think we're meant to hear a kind of continuous thread. This is the same God 
the God who said over creation, let there be light, and called out life out of chaos and darkness, liberated life, delivered life out of chaos and darkness, is now in Egypt, saying out over Egypt, let my people go, delivering his people life out of chaos and darkness. And that same Jesus does the same thing then again in the New Testament. Same God, same Jesus, same ongoing story of deliverance. And this idea of one ongoing story is really important. Uh, It's really important throughout the Bible, and it's important here in the story of the Exodus. It's the reason, for example, that the story here in Exodus begins by looking backward and recounting the history of Israel's ancestors. Um, It's like the Lord's way of saying, this story, just as a reminder, didn't begin in slavery in Egypt. It began actually with Joseph, who was delivered out of a pit. And before there was Joseph being delivered out of the pit, there was, of course, Abraham, who was being delivered out of childlessness. One ongoing story, story after story about God's deliverance. And here's why I think that matters so much uh, for us. Because the reality is, is I think a lot of us feel probably pretty unmoored, uh, untethered, disconnected from God, from each other, from the church. Hard to know right now, like, what to believe, who to trust. Just kind of generally lost. I talk to a lot of people who have the sense of, like, I don't really even know what my life is right now, where it's headed or where it's going. I feel like in some ways um, kind of starting over from scratch. And that's not, biblically speaking anyway, a terribly unusual feeling. And what's encouraging to me is that when we feel that way, the invitation from the Bible, from the Lord, of course, is that we would back up and zoom out, pay attention to this bigger, older story, and put our lives, what's happening now in my life, in the context of this bigger and older story so that I can see that I'm connected to something, that where I am today didn't start today that my history is long and old, the story that I'm a part of is bigger than me, uh, older than me. In this case, the reason that that matters uh, for Exodus, it's for us going through Exodus and Lent. Particularly, we need to be reminded, I think, that God is, in fact, and has always been a deliverer. That the same God who, when when Joseph needed him, when Joseph found himself in a pit that he didn't know how to get out of, quite literally, God delivered him out. Israel could look back at that story when they were in slavery in Egypt and remember, okay, well, this is the God who delivers us um, out of the pit. He did it for Joseph. He can do it for us. By the same token, we are meant to look back at those stories and say today and now, when I feel like I am in something I can't get out of, when I'm up against something that seems impossible for me to overcome, God is with me and for me to deliver me. That's who he's always been. That's who he always promises uh, to be. When I've been, as I've been sitting with this story and imagining people right now, names and faces of people I've talked to over the weeks and months who are really truly up against things that feel impossibly hard that they've never had to deal with before, sitting with this story is such an encouragement. It's why we keep saying over and over, Lent really does have at its heart a a word of hope to speak to people. Because what I know is that if you belong to Jesus, regardless of what it is that you are in the middle of right now or up against, 
the marriage that is in shambles that you're not sure how you're going to face or begin to put back together, the addiction that you know is real but you don't know how to confront, whatever it is, if you choose to stay close to, to Jesus, what I can know is that you're going to be okay. And that's not just blind, naive optimism. When we root it in the story of the Bible over and over and over again, what God is saying is, like, this is who I am. We tell these stories over and over so that we can be reminded when we find ourselves in the middle of something impossibly hard. It's not surprising to us that we're there. And we can be hopeful because we know who God is, who he has promised to be, when I find myself in exactly a place like that. I can look at you and say, if you choose to stay close to Jesus, if you belong to him, no matter where it is or what it is, you're going to be okay because I know this story. Your story has been grafted into God's story. God is a deliverer. Over and over and over again, as often as we can, in this season, we're going to be coming back to that idea in this story. Now, that being said, the other thing uh, we need to remember is that before Israel could be delivered out of Egypt, Israel had to want uh, to leave. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, that seems ridiculous. They were being held as slaves there. Of course they wanted to leave. And yes, that's true, but it hadn't always been true. We have to remember that when Israel first came to Egypt, they came under the protection of Joseph. They um, were brought there because of a famine and offered protection so that for many, many years, a very long time, they lived there actually not like slaves but more like refugees. And they lived there quite comfortably. In fact, the text has this to say. Um, They were fruitful and prolific. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong. So for a long time, Israel had this kind of mutually beneficial relationship uh, with Egypt. Egypt kept them safe, uh, provided for them uh, in some ways, even though, of course, it was never a super easy one, that relationship. What we see happen, though, in the text is there was a moment when it began to shift. And as soon as Egypt began to feel threatened by Israel, the terms of their relationship changed, and they changed very, very quickly. Egypt went from leveraging its power with and for Israel to leveraging its power over and against Israel. They went from being partners, Egypt treating Israel like a partner, to treating Israel uh, like slaves. And it happened so quickly. As I've been reflecting on that, the nature of that relationship, this week I'm reminded that in my own life, this is how sin works. Sin with a capital S. And bear with me. Think about the connection or the similarities for a moment. Uh, Sin also feels really good at first. Even to some degree, there's a kind of like mutual benefit. Anger, for example. Anger defends me from having to deal with the fact that I feel afraid or I feel really sad. And I don't know how to tell you about it or talk about it. So I get to be angry instead. It feels good. Similarly, greed. Greed prevents me from having to ever feel like want or real longing or real need, any kind of scarcity, and that also feels good. I can just get more and more for myself. Similarly, something like drinking. Drinking offers an escape. It feels good. But what we know, of course, is that in the long run, it, it is a lie. There's a lie at work. It's the lie. 
the lie that the snake whispered into the ear of Adam and Eve was this. Like, if you stick with me, if you'll do it my way, you'll get what you need. You'll live. You'll be who you're meant to be. What we know from Adam and Eve's story, of course, is that that probably felt true for a moment. I think that fruit probably tasted really, really good. And I think whatever it meant for their eyes to be open for a moment probably felt really good and they felt really hopeful. But of course it all changed in an instant. They went from being really hopeful to feeling ashamed to eventually separated from each other and separated from God. Similarly, I think there was a, a point, probably for Israel, when Israel began to realize, oh, you're not for me. You're using me. And I think we probably all need to have a moment like that with the sin in our lives. Where we start to realize, oh, this isn't actually working for me. This is using me. I'm being made increasingly into someone I don't want to be and never chose to be. And it's just happening to me. It's just the way that sin works. It's the nature of the thing. And until I have a moment when I can see my sin for what it is, in the same way Israel at a certain point began to see Egypt for what it was, until that moment happens, I won't want to leave it. I won't want to repent of it. I won't want to move away from it. So that's the point of Lent. The whole nature and spirit of the season is that we would be called to examine our lives, to look at our appetites, to look at them carefully, even critically, to see where and in what way might sin be at work in my life in a kind of mutually beneficial way. Why am I have, where might I have partnered with it? And think that we're partners when in reality I'm, make, I'm being made increasingly into a kind of slave. I'm a three on the Enneagram. And what that means is I like to build things and achieve things, so I'm told. And it's true. And I think a lot of people do. Things like achievement, power, success, those things aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves. But what I have to pay really close attention to, and what I think a lot of us need to pay really close attention to, is that while those things might not necessarily be bad in and of themselves, I do in fact have an enemy who would very much like to use them against me. To enslave me, to keep the spirit of God in me very small. And the way that the nature of power works, and we see this, I think, happen, play out in the story of the Exodus, is that it's possible to be a slave to power for a long time before you realize it. That's Pharaoh's story. He thought he was in power. And he really wasn't at all. He, even himself, was being controlled by something uh, greater than he was. Y'all, we've lost too many heroes in the church this way. I've lost too many of my own heroes in the church this way. I don't know that this is true, but I like to think that if Ravi Zacharias could say something to us from the other side of the grave, that it might sound similar. That maybe he would say something like, it is possible to be a slave to power for a long time and not realize it. God have mercy on us. We have lost too many of our heroes this way to this enemy. And if 
we don't begin to be more ruthless in our examination of ourselves, more and more of us will continue to fall prey to it. I have something that I, I want to say and feel like needs to be said, and I'm going to read it so that I get it right. We in the affluent church, which basically means if you own a car, that's you, it's me, we have a responsibility to examine ourselves, our families, our organizations, and our political histories, and to ask the Lord, have we made allegiances have we partnered with power and a false sense of security in ways that are costing us our freedom in the spirit? Have we forgotten or have we gotten so comfortable, so accustomed to the perks of the empire that we've forgotten who we are? Sometimes I wonder if that is true, in what ways that might be true for me the beauty of the season of Lent is to call us to examine and to be ruthless in that examination of ourselves, our partnerships with power, our allegiances, our appetites, all these things we put in humility before God because we know and we remember that we were made to be free. So we don't have anything to lose in putting those in front of the Lord and asking God to take them from us. Because freedom is with him, apart from those things. We are little Christs. What that means is we are ambassadors. We are the beloved servants, the friends of Jesus of Nazareth. He was a healer. He was a friend to sinners. And he was executed by the state because he wouldn't bow down to it. And y'all, there is no glory for the church without our crosses. There just isn't. That's our story. That's who we are. We've been called by Jesus to be people who carry our crosses, who turn from allegiances that would make the Spirit of God in us smaller than it is meant to be. we don't tell our stories, our old stories, this old story, the story of who Jesus is, the story of God's deliverance, his intention to redeem and save the world, we'll forget. And when we forget, we become less and less the people we were called to be, created to be. When I was a kid growing up in the, the Baptist church, uh, there's this hymn that we used to sing called I Love to Tell the Story. If I close my eyes, uh, I can still hear Brother Jackie singing it. I'm going to read it to you. This is a different, slightly different version of it, an older version. It goes this way. Tell me the old, old story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. Tell me the story simply as to a little child. For I am weak and weary and helpless and defiled. Tell me the story slowly that I may take it in. That wonderful redemption, God's remedy for sin. Tell me the story often for I forget so soon. 
the early dew of morning has passed away at noon. Tell me the story softly with earnest tones and grave. Remember I'm the sinner whom Jesus came to save. Tell me the story always if you would really be in any time of trouble a comforter to me. Tell me the same old story. When you have cause to fear that this world's empty glory is costing me too dear. And when the Lord's bright glory is dawning on my soul, tell me the old, old story. Christ Jesus makes thee whole. Amen. God is a deliverer. And our story, my story, your story, has been grafted into his. Therefore, we have hope, particularly in this season. So there are a couple of questions I want to put in front of you before we pray. Questions for you to reflect on, either together with your group or throughout the week on your own. The first is, what is the pit you need God to lift you out of? What's overwhelming you right now? Secondly, have you partnered with power or comfort in ways that are costing you your freedom in the spirit? We pray less than we should, less boldly than we should, less often than we should. Are we less joyful than we should be, more judgmental than we should be? Where do we feel the costs of our freedom? Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. We'll pray now together the Lord's Prayer, and then you all can take communion in your homes. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.